You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 33. Subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. Visit us at codingblocks.net where you can find show notes, examples, discussion, and more. And send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net. And follow us on Twitter at codingblocks or head to www.codingblocks.net and find all our social links there at the top of the page. And with that, welcome to Coding Blocks. I'm Alan Underwood. I'm Joe Zach. And I'm Michael Outlaw. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Over 550,000 developers have already deployed to their cloud. You too could deploy your own droplet in 55 seconds. Their options start at $5 per month and you only pay for the time used when your droplet is live. Use the offer code CODINGBOX and get a $10 credit towards your new DigitalOcean account. All right, so let's go ahead and get rolling with some podcast news. First, there was a big oops in the last one that I got to call out. And people who listened to the episode probably were like, what in the world, man? Like Outlaw and Joe are like the most rude people on the planet. Because there was a section there for like two and a half minutes where they were talking and I'd start to say something and then they would talk over me. And then they'd say something else and it seemed like there was a pause and I'd start talking and it sounded like they just railroaded me. One of the cables came unplugged. We were all remote. We're, we were recording remote on that episode, and a cable came unplugged on mine. So I was talking, and then they just talk over me. I'm like, man, why are these guys being jerks tonight, I, right? I thought that got edited out there. So right? that's the thing. Joe did go back and edit it out, but anybody who was already subscribed to the podcast got the initial one that came oh, down. Oh, so there was an initial version that went out that yeah. didn't have that correction. Yeah. So uh, okay. So there's a good two and a half minutes. Well, you know, I'm the, just going to talk all over you the whole time. Right. Here. Right? So you know, go ahead and try to say something now. Let's see Man. how this works out. <laughs> Joe, you want to you want to chime in right now? I'm yeah. going to mute Outlaw. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm, yeah, I'm not even chewing gum. Why, dude? It was it was actually pretty funny because I'm listening to it. At once I was like, man, this is re- oh, that's right. That's when the cable came unplugged. So uh, if you did hear that, they weren't being jerks. I totally had come unplugged, and that just happened. So or were we being jerks? Maybe that should be the survey. That's possible too, right? <laughs> yeah, we keep talking about like, again. We forgot to come up with a survey beforehand. I even tried. Ooh, I have a good one though. I have a good one. Oh, okay. Let's do it right now. What is it? Is the Surface Book real? Like, is it something that people what? want or not? The new Surface Book, the Microsoft Surface Book. Okay. Is it something that people want or not? That versus the iPad Pro. About, uh, even though they're not really the same type thing, but I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's well, a bad like one. Sounds like your survey already fell apart. As Apparently. You yeah, never mind. All right. <laughs> that worked out well. Maybe we should stick with our Joe and Michael jerks for talking over Alan. Yeah, there we go. Well, we did have a survey last episode. We did. Yeah, yeah, but we we didn't remember. What I'm getting at though is we that didn't we didn't talk about it beforehand, so we didn't know to talk, what to say on the you know as we were recording. So it was something that like we threw together afterwards. But uh, I like it better if we like have something to talk about. Actually, yeah. as we record, yeah, we'll I, we'll have to uh, go over the previous numbers in our next one because we totally you know, forgot maybe about by it. maybe by we're only thirty three episodes in, so maybe give it another thirty three, and maybe by then we'll have like something worked out to where we're familiar with like what we need to prepare for the show. Yeah, don't we go through like fifteen minutes of setup every time? Like, man, why is our audio <laughs> working <Yep. laughs> every single time? So. Yeah, it's because you got too many knobs on this thing, man. Right. Yeah, we'll get this working one day. Sponsored by Yamaha over here. (laughs) Hey, it works. 
Kind of. Don't make me ever rewire it. Oh, um, and, uh, yeah. you know, speaking of last episode, we did get a, a, a nice comment from Mark Tinsley referring to PHP's composer. And uh, we pick on PHP a lot, but uh, composer looks really nice and looks like a, like a really good dependency management tool. Yeah, very cool. I forgot about that. It, it's been a while since we recorded, man. We've been insanely busy. Yeah. Oh, God. So, uh, it, it actually I thought this feel, was episode one. Right? It feels good to get back in here. So, um, yeah, it does. It, hopefully, you guys missed us as much as we missed you. So, Oh, uh, man. One last thing about last episode. No one commented on my thunder, which I worked so hard on. <laughs> so, I, I spent 45 <laughs> I minutes... I, I think it was more like the shock and you know the shock and awe that Alan and I had that we experienced when we heard it. Yeah. <laughs> that was not real thunder, correct? No, it was. I, it took a long time for me to kind of like isolate and kind of get it all set up. But yeah, I did. I was not going to use a, a cheesy thunder sound. Like I wanted the real scary thunder. Very nice. I like that. That was yeah, awesome. It was, like, it was like the sound of a thousand alligators <laughs> being dropped on his roof. I know. I know. I know the right uh, survey we can do. The poll. Do people like the music behind the uh, behind the ad spots, or uh. would they rather it without? Because Outlaw <laughs> hates it. Me and Joe are like, let's get Love our groove it. on. We, we like this. So that that might be the poll. Man, you guys will just how, have to visit this about, episode to find out. How about how about this? This should be the survey. Are surveys on the fly surveys a good thing or a bad thing? Right. So it, far, this is going horribly wrong. Right. Right. I, we're like ten minutes in, and we haven't talked about anything code related. <laughs> so that's awesome. Uh, yeah. Anyways. Uh. All right, so uh, Jay-Z, you want to hit us with some review info? Yep, uh, we got some really great reviews uh, this time. Um, Rum and Rum, awesome name. More Cowbell, 8008. Uh, Tenorant and Dick Dingus, all uh, really great reviews. Uh, so we really appreciate that. Yeah, I, one of them even said, hey, even PHP developers listen to you guys, which was kind of cool, right? Like, I mean, we've never, I don't think really dogged on them, but I don't think we've ever called it out either. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's really awesome. Thanks for that. And we got a killer one over on Stitcher. Um, so I, I mean, you guys, thank you for taking the time to do that. It, it really makes our day. I, I just wonder though, like if he was kind of having some fun at our expense with uh, that, that name, because his review name, the the name, his Twitter handle name was like Eddie something. I can't remember. Uh, help me out here. I but can't remember. On Stitcher, he used a completely different name, and I wonder if he did that because he knew we were going to read it. <laughs> Let me go back. Because yep. because Joe, do you want to say it again? <laughs> no, we're good. <laughs> uh, but you know what? One thing that I will I would I do want to say about his particular review that he did over on Stitcher. And it was Dick Dingus. Um, the thing that was awesome about it, though, was the fact that he said that he typically just does standard crud type stuff at his job. And I think a lot of us have fallen into this to where you kind of, I don't know, you fall into a bit of a rut because you're used to doing the same thing over and over. And he said this kind of reignited his passion for for doing things the right way and, and, and learning and building those skills. So that that was really cool. That. That was exciting to read that we've kind of ignited that flame again. So, um, yeah, here Eddie Peters. So I'm not I'm not convinced that he used his real name. One of those places he didn't use his real name. <laughs> so I, you know, at this point I'm I'm going to have to assume that Twitter is the right one. I could be wrong. Yeah, uh, it's entertaining either way. One of those he was having some fun with us. <laughs> so hey, Joe also has other news, which is kind of cool and insane. 
Yeah, I was a little embarrassed uh, last episode when uh, I was referring to like Bauer and other things as uh, dependency management tools, and and uh, they, you know, whatever. But uh, I wanted <laughs> to try and make like a modern JavaScript application, and so I made like a little game using a bunch of different libraries and. Uh, I won't get too much into it, but uh, we'll have a link in the show notes where you can go check it out. And it's not a very good game, and I kind of stole the idea from like uh, one of the first Game Boy games. Uh, and it's like even worse than the Game Boy game. <laughs> but you guys should go check it out and like tell me all the stuff that I did wrong. I, so, I didn't so play it. You how, did, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, notice how he, though he said like a bunch of different libraries, right? Like because you can't, you know, JavaScript is like. Ruffles potato chips. You can't just have one, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah, and like I'll add one, and I'll you know be trying to figure out how to do something with it, and everyone's like, "Oh, don't use that one." And like sometimes I remember to remove it, sometimes I don't. So there's all sorts of crap in there that you know, and it's like only a 200 line application. I don't know. I don't know what half of it does. It's just all like bringing in other crap. <laughs> but hold on a second. Isn't that where .NET's going to? Like, you're just going to start bringing in 5,000 different dependencies? So Yeah. So you're complaining about JavaScript, but it looks like Microsoft took a little note out of Node's book and said, hey, let's just make everything some sort of package. So, yep. yeah. Maybe. Yep. It's so, nice. Like, I would bring in libraries for a single function. Like, I think at one point I had, like, a, a function that would just shuffle an array, like, just randomize an array. Like I brought in a you know essentially a library for it, and it was just a real small thing. It's it's nice to do that with those modules. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I mean, it, it makes things a little bit more painful when you're trying to gather it all together. But I mean, it, the fact that yeah, it's there I, is nice. I feel nice. like uh, uh, I feel like Steve Gibson would hate you for doing that. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Steve Gibson would hate me for a lot of reasons. <laughs> well, he brought in he... an entire library so that you could make one function call. Yeah, but Gibson also wrote stuff in assembly, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, that's no fun. Nobody wants to do that. And in fairness, the library was just for shuffling an array. Like, someone, it's like, it's done. Like, all it does is just randomize arrays using, like, a well-known algorithm. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, all right. So, so what was your takeaway from the experience, though? Were you like, you know, oh, my God, I get it. This is awesome. Or were you like, oh, JavaScript. Well, it was like, um, what I thought was most interesting is like, oh, wow, there's all this really nice, these nice libraries and nice tooling. But the thing is, I need those nice libraries and the toolings to just to make it bearable. So it kind of uh, evens things out for me. So I feel good about it. You know, I, I had a good experience. It's fun. I plan on doing more. But, uh, I, you know, I can't really sing the praises because I feel like, you know, it, it wasn't so much helping me out as it was uh, just kind of getting me normal, getting me straight. Hmm. <laughs> That's cool. Well, All right, so the, so the server side guy becomes the UI guy. That's yeah. basically the takeaway from that. Yeah, that's kind of yeah, interesting. Yeah, because he said he was going to do more of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. We'll, we'll follow this closely. <laughs> uh, one other thing. All right, so the past few weeks I've been incredibly busy. I think all of us have. And one of the things I wanted to bring up that, that harkens back to episode 23 is encapsulation. It's crazy that we got that many. Oh my dear God! If you if you write software, please write it in a way to where you encapsulate things properly. I I, I literally spent ridiculous amounts of hours trying to make heads or tails of something that was intended to be a reusable component, but it had like little tentacles that reached out to everything else. And so trying to figure out what this thing actually did was nearly impossible. 
Like, I mean, it, it was, it's one of those things to where when you're making it, if you're the person making it, you understand everything you did, right? Is as soon as somebody else has to pick that up, you now have this logic spread out all over the place that reaches into these things that are seemingly completely unrelated. And so you have no idea what the side effects are if you try and pull those things back out. Like encapsulation can save you in so many ways. One, you can actually test it properly. Two, you can understand if something changes in there, you know where it changed. You know, do your best. I, I know we kind of laughed about, I think in one of the previous recent episodes, you know, Joe's like, hey, just make it a global variable. And I agree to a certain extent. If you were just trying to get something out the door, proof of concept, you want to get something out, it's a minimal, minimal viable product, do it. But know that there is a, a cost to it. And if you start writing all your software like that, that cost will come back to bite you and it will be very difficult to maintain. So, um, you know, if you haven't listened to episode 23, please do go give it a listen and realize that encapsulation is really a huge key in writing maintainable software. Yep. And it sounds like though, am I, am I misunderstanding? Cause like part of what you were complaining about in your statement just now though, is you were saying like there, it was reaching out into other things, right? Like that's beyond encapsulation though. Oh, it's way right, past like, encapsulation. Okay, but okay. if they had encapsulated, I, like, I was like, "Well, wait a minute," because encapsulation is just like hiding implementation. Well, it's all—it's not just hiding implementation, right? It's setting something up so that it's aware of itself, right? It, so, well, so it's, hiding it's the both. behavior in the data, right? It's it's both, but this thing literally would go out and and pull data from places that you assumed were there that weren't necessarily right. Like this was supposed to be a reusable component and it was not in any sense of, of the words because you couldn't plug it in anywhere else because there were so many dependencies on these other things that would never have existed unless you recreated exactly what they had in the other environment. And I don't know. So encapsulation does have to do with how you store your variables and how you access them and all that. But it also is this whole idea of a closed area right that's that's the reason why you hide implementation and all that is because you have this this black box of functionality and that this thing did not right like it, it was just an open book and it it, uh, it felt like a choose your own adventure type thing like you went here and it was like go to page 83 and it's like oh my god what, what's on page 83 and, right. and it was just uh, it was so so frustrating well, it sounds like it sounds like uh, for anyone that hasn't caught up on the back catalog, then it sounds like it's more than just the episode twenty three that you'd want to catch up on. Then uh, we have another one for that. I don't. I don't. Well, know. I mean, because I'm just like listening to like some of the, what your your complaints are, but some of it just sounds more like solid. Know, kind of thinking like solids. One of yeah. them. Some of the patterns, you know, come to mind. Design patterns come to mind. It wasn't so much patterns. I, I think solid, the whole open close principle, that kind of thing. That solid was, would definitely apply. Solid would. Um, it's a little over the top, maybe even in some cases, which we discussed back then. I don't remember what episode that was, but but definitely between the two, like there there should be like set defined inputs and outputs, and the implementation inside should be basically hidden from everybody, which is your encapsulation. But it, it's a uh, it's worth noting that if okay. you just start writing things that basically I just didn't want anyone out. to think to hear that and think like you know based off the things that you were saying that it was encapsulation only though no no that, it's, that's what I was wanting to get at it's it's both yeah um so I wonder should we ask Joe if if the game that he made was uh, solid did he adhere to solid no not at all uh, a lot of stuff I tried to get it testable I wanted it to be solid but like 
man, it was just so murderous. Just trying to get libraries, like some that had written had been written for like, with Node in mind, and some that had been written like kind of counting on there being a browser and getting all that crap working together was, man, it wasn't fun. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, front end testing. I actually listened to an episode of JavaScript Jabber recently where they were talking about testing front end UI type stuff. Man, that is a whole ball of wax when it comes to like browsers. Like it's, it, maybe it's something we'll try and dedicate an episode to in the future. But it, it's not something Fine. that you can take lightly. Yeah, it's it's a major <laughs> undertaking. You know, so, what, what's terrible yeah. is um, with the game, it's like if I want to test, you know, what happens when you finish a level. Like that means I got to play a level. You know, that's, it takes a long time to test everything out. I was joking with you about this. Remember, I was like, we need to go back to the days of Mike Tyson's punch out where you have a code that'll put you back yep. at like level five with whatever. Well, yeah, and I actually I actually uh, joked and brought up uh, episode 30 with the memento pattern. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why, I'm surprised you didn't implement that, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if you want to be able to save a game, it's a great way of doing it. Yeah, so a um, lot of fun. Definitely go check out his thing. I mean, it's it's fully functional. I didn't have time to play with it, but I will um, probably this week now. So, yeah. And be sure to let him know about the bugs. He loves that part. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I might have bothered him once or twice. I, I think I fixed everything you found. So, Yeah. Yep. All right. So are we ready to get into tonight's topic? Let's do it. Yeah, I wanted to catch right, this up real Luke. quick. Um, so we're doing a, a, a second pass here at the 12 Factor app talking about uh, the uh, 4, 5, and 6 here. Um, but I uh, just wanted to let you know, um, if you aren't familiar with the 12-factor app, that you might want to check out the episode um, before this one. Uh, there's not a whole lot of catching up you really need to do. You know, It's not going to kill you if you listen out of order uh, with this topic, but uh, you might want to listen anyhow. And uh, last week we talked about specifically steps 1, 2, 3, which were code bases, dependencies, and configs. And uh, now we're going to be talking about backing services, build, release, run, and processes. Oh, man. When you said episodes 4, 5, and 6, I got all excited. I thought we were talking about Star Wars. <laughs> I'm all prepared for the wrong thing. Uh, beta looks That's great. Start over. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. So number four today, kicking things off, is backing services. And what is a backing service? It's any resource that is consumed over the network. And these are things like databases, cloud services, mail servers. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. If if you've done any programming, you're familiar with these things. It's, it's services that you use. Um, one of the key or interesting things that they say about this is they say network, but they really mean anything that's external to your app that you can hook into. Um, so your database might reside on an app server. It's it's still a backing service. It could be running on your laptop. It's still a backing service. It's not your code. It's something that you are utilizing. So, what about logs? A logging service might be considered that, but I don't think logs. I, I, I mean, I, I that, as soon as you said, I'm like, wait, are you talking about like the actual file? Where are we talking about? It's so like logging, like normally you would write stuff to disk, right? But I was just kind of thinking, like, it, you know, if if you would consider the you know writing of the log to be a backing service i know you know with splunk and um you know all the different ways of getting logs off of individual boxes you know that uh, things are a little bit different nowadays but i don't know i was just trying to think if um if that was something that we could really consider a, a backend service because it is a form of persistence right well i think so if you're writing it to a database that's a service that you're utilizing is that database 
Um, but I, I don't think logging itself is. If you're using something like a queue, that would be a service that you're hooking into. I, I really but, think Joe's trying to like skip ahead here. Like he's <laughs> saying, you know, like I'm already done with talking about chapter four, the backing services, and let's skip to chapter eleven, <laughs> logs, which really seems unfair and disingenuous of you. Yeah, I I don't it, logging in and <laughs> of itself wouldn't be. Um, but if you're hooking into a service like a queue or a database or something like that, that is, that could be a service that you're, that you're doing. Like, like you could mail logs. I mean, I'm sure some people do crazy things like that. Um, so that would be utilizing the mail service, but I think logging in and of itself wouldn't be a backing service. Yeah. I mean, the difference here though, like your question about the logs though, is this like, are you assuming that the log and the data in that log that you've written to it is there for a future process or a future run of the application. In which case, typically in logs, that's not the case. Like you don't, you don't care. You, you write it to the log and then you let something else do some aggregation of those logs. So, uh, you know, logs wouldn't apply in this scenario. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's more specific to this is oh yeah sorry your code is hooking into the service right like Splunk wouldn't be it because that's something that runs completely independent of of what your application is right well it could be something like, like if you were writing directly to a Splunk API or if, reading yes. from a Splunk API yes then then that could be a backing service that you know basically in the twelve factor app all of these ser- backing services as as they're you know, titled should be treated as, you know, um, attached resources that should yep. be accessed by some kind of, they, they refer to it as accessible access by a, via URL or other locator credentials. And, you know, this is information that's stored in the config, right? So we talked, you know, configuration was one of the things that we talked about last time. And, um, you know, this is one of those things that can go in, in the config are these type of, uh, Yep. Yeah. Identifier. So connection strings, you know, per this count. Yep. And that's exactly what they said. It was kind of ironic though, because, uh, in one of the previous ones that we were talking about with the configs, they said, if you open source this today, would you be safe? Right. But then in this particular one, they mentioned having credentials stored in a config. And I thought that was a little bit ironic. Um, well, that wasn't one that they said in the 12 factor app. That was one that we said. Oh, there, yeah. there was, and I forget oh, why, cause okay. it was based off of like some other, Oh, there was another uh, story that came out, and I, I, uh, I can't remember it. It was hitting, it was going around LinkedIn for a while, and basically uh, someone wrote up a story that was something along the lines of how I lost, you know, thousands yes. of dollars uh, because of a bug in Visual Studio. So basically, something was getting committed and pushed into a public repository that he didn't intend to or something. I, right. I don't remember the exact story, but that right. that's what that was. And so, you know, we were saying like, well, Hey, you know, as part of what you're putting in your config, you know, if you, if you, if your boss came to you right now and said, okay, we're pushing everything to a public GitHub Open repository, it, yeah. how fired are you? And, and so you're right. I do find it, um, strange that like, you know, the very next chapter is, is talking about putting some things and specifically they mentioned credentials yep. stored in a config. Yep. Um, and we had actually talked about other ways to do that yep. using their ideas, by the way, for things like environment variables or something like that, or machine configs, yep. machine level configs that would store those, uh, credentials that, you know, in a safer way, something that yeah. could not <clears throat> accidentally get checked into a source control. Basically, oh. the idea here, though, 
while Alan tries to catch his breath, <laughs> is that, uh, you know, should you have to replace any one of these resources, though, it should just be a matter of a configuration change. Right. And and I think that's in essence what they're really trying to get to, because they list examples of using, like, uh, various SMTP services, or if you're using, uh, you know, various database uh, processes, you know, the ability to just swap that out. Now, swap it out within the same architecture, though. Right. Yeah. They're not saying go from SQL Server to Oracle. Right. They're, they're saying, you know, if you're changing a connection from a local host database to a remote database, you should just be able to change the IP or whatever it's pointing to. Um, one other interesting thing, though, that is key to this is it should not require code change. So anything that you do here, you can change a config file, but you should not have to redeploy code. So if you, right. if you have to redeploy your code simply to change a connection, then you violated this, right. this number four backing service. Yeah, they actually list an example of uh, where in, in the scenario they say, you know, there's a, a database misbehaving due to a hardware issue and the uh, app administrator might want to spin up a new database server uh, based off of some backup, and you just point the app to that new one. Now, for some applications, that might require uh, an app restart, and they don't really cover that as you know being necessary. But I, I kind of like I don't take that as a bad thing, though. No, I mean, in most of your applications, they're not just going to pick up a conf a config file on the fly. In most of them, yeah. you're going to have to restart an app pool or 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 something like that. Um, yeah, that that's I it's not a deploy. Can be pretty good about picking up web config changes if you know if you're if we're talking specifically about that. And and but it does kind of get into the question of um, you know, um, uh, well. I don't know how much further we want to get it, but you know, we'll f later on they talk about um, session-related kind of things, right? So if you were to not have anything session-based, and so every connection that came in was checking to see, like, oh, what database do I use? Then you know, a restart may not be required, right? And it, it pick it up on the fly, right? right. Yeah, it, I mean, you mentioned an app pool, which is you know definitely like an IIS. Yeah, uh, you know, it's going to have that kind of connection, but. Well, even with Apache, I think if you modify one of the configs, a lot of times you have to do an Apache restart, um, you know, depending on what the config file is and that kind of thing. So, But that's different, though, because you're describing, you're describing configuring Apache versus configuring IIS. And what we're talking about is configuring the, the web application, which could be hosted by Apache or IIS. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think we've beat up uh, backing services uh, pretty well. Um, there, there was one other thing though was the uh, if you remember right, continuing from the last one, we gave these things importance ratings, and I believe Joe's the one who found the site, so I'm going to let him go with this. Yeah, and I actually uh, I lost the link, so I'm going to have to look that up while we're talking here. I got it for you right here. Awesome. What was the Clearly name? ClearlyTech.com. Awesome. Boom. And uh, they gave this one an importance rating of high. What do you guys think about that? I agree with that. Oh yeah, yeah, that seems fair. Like if you got if you have to recompile and redeploy your app just because you wanted to change the connection to a mail server or a database, like that's insane. Yeah, yeah I agree yeah. with that. But it is kind of weird that there's so much carryover with the, between this and the configs. So really, you know, I feel like this number four is really kind of number three. <laughs> hmm. Which I said was high. 
<laughs> where did they say it? Where did they say four, three was? I don't remember on Clearly Tech. Do you remember? Let me check the show notes from last episode. You were saying that you said it was high or that they said it was high? I'm hoping both. Uh. <laughs> if I remember right, they said their configs were only medium or something, though. And we were like, no, nah, that should there be was higher. one that we disagreed with. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Either which way. Um, but yeah. even in the even in the config one, they, they the twelve factor app does strongly um, recommend you know environment variables. Yeah. For that configuration. But I would agree on this one. I think I think backing services is is a high, and they should be decoupled. I mean, as much as possible. So. Yeah. Let me see. Let's see. What uh Yeah, they have clearly tech had they have which one is medium? medium. The config, configs. yeah, that's the one that we thought was a little bit low. Yeah, they say lots of companies get away without this, but you're sloppy if you do. So yeah, it is a little strange that these chapters three and four do really go hand in hand. So to say that config is not as important, but backing services is of their configs. Importance. Right. Nah, they're both high. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. All right. All right. So moving right along, let's uh, skip right ahead to episode five. I mean, chapter five, build, release, run. Strikes no back. No one's going to catch the Star Wars. <laughs> Thanks. Wow. That's, uh, <laughs> fell on deaf ears. We thought it was just late. Oh, oh. No, it's not that late. So build, release, run. So this is talking about uh, strictly separating the build and run stages of your application, right? So we have the build stage is a transform which converts the code in a repository into an executable bundle known as a build, right? I don't like them calling it a build. Build is a verb. Um, I think they should call them buildings. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm sorry, I think I'm drunk on Coke Zero. Wow. Uh, I thought that was hilarious. I, by the way, I, I tell you what, let, let, let's let's just get through the, what the three stages are first, right? <laughs> Before I'm so we sorry. get into the commentary, <laughs> buildings. It's too late. Buildings. What are you talking about, man? <laughs> so the get the build the get stage. What well, you can tell where I'm thinking? The build stage, I said, is a transform which converts a code repository into an executable bundle known as a build. There's the release stage that takes the build produced by the build stage and combines it with the deploy's current config. And then there's the run stage known as the runtime, which is you know the running execution environment. Right? Yeah, I like that the release is a combination of the build with the config. I thought, I thought that was pretty cool. And, and it kind of implies that you can you know kind of mix and match those things. You can take different builds with different configs. And yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, the key is you can set it up to point to multiple different, you know, deploy areas, and that's how you got to mix them in differently for those, right? So, I mean. Well, I mean, it kind of goes back to, uh, which one was it from uh, the last episode? Um, I guess maybe it was Codebase? No. There was one where we were talking about, like, having having a deploy on, um, maybe it was under the config that we were talking about it, where, like, you could have multiple deploys of the same uh, code, right? But using different environment variables, it would be essentially, according to this definition, uh, it could be a different release, right? Yeah. And, um, one thing I, I like here too is, um, because it takes the build that's done in the first stage and combines it with configs, 
it um, implies that you're using like, the same, you know, basically generated the same build, the same binaries, if you will. And um, MS Dev Show just had a recent um, uh, interview with Donovan Brown. That was really good. And they were talking about uh, Azure's release management. And one thing that I thought was really cool there is um, they talked about with this new product, um, it kind of changed things a little bit with TFS so that you could actually take the same, you know, build output and move it to like Q- QA environment and then take those same binaries and move them to staging and then take the same binaries and move it to production. So there's no, never any question over what's been tested and what hasn't. It's not like you're like, okay, this looks good. Let's build another package for production and you know, introducing any variability there. Yeah, I like that. And, and that is, you know, that's possible as a side effect of having the config done properly, right? Which was chapter three, yep. right? Of having like what what's truly important because we, you know, as a refresher, right? Some of the things that we talked about that go into that can fit into your config file were things that would, that were important to the application that, you know, that aren't going to change per environment, but those things that were going to change per environment, those were the environment variables. Right. Right. One of the additional things here is, and we've actually had discussion about this before as well, is when you do have a release, you're supposed to tag that with something, whether it's an incrementing number version 101 or whether it's a timestamp. And some people, this is actually a topic that's kind of comical to me because I'm fairly indifferent to it. I, I kind of prefer the timestamp just because you oh, yeah. know when it happens. But I've heard people like passionately debate whether or not it should be a version number. Right. Or, or this is, is it, definitely in one of those VAR wars. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, which, know, tabs versus spaces and VAR or not to VAR. What's your preference, Joe? Well, I, I know you do quite a few builds. They don't call it Microsoft Windows 2015, October 11th. They do in the builds. <laughs> That's true, man. I don't care what you market it as. The build, I like the date. I do like having the date in there because it gives you a point in reference that because, is human. Yeah, man. Sensical, right? Like some random number, like that's meaningless. Like you have cares? to go look it up, and that's what sucks, right? Like eventually, what you're going to do is go look up the tag somewhere just to find the date that you look it at the tag on. annotation to see when it was made, right? And oh. that way, you get a date. Like who cares? Like really, I version care. numbers. <laughs> Don't take this away numbers, from me. No, no, no. <laughs> so no. you like the you like the oh, minimum or not the what is it the minor and the uh, revision numbers? Yeah, I like oh, to know yeah. how big of a change this is. You know, if if it's just a minor change or a major, you know, it does, the date doesn't tell me anything about that. Okay, so what if we do one dot dot one dot Yes, I'm gonna start like. <laughs> Adding ten to every major version just to mess with Joe, so they'll think like big things yeah, happened. So and all wrong. I want to do is change like you know a little string here and there. Oh so no! Like oh, that yeah. that version number that's only for marketing people. Like they're the only ones that are going to care about the version. But from a developer perspective, the build a timestamp of the build is far more beneficial, far more you know, informational. I think I have the answer. There should be like a tag feature that gives you both. <laughs> What? <laughs> if, if it'll only you trying to make annotate a itself, to me? <laughs> something like oh, why can't the me. tag keep track of the time it was tagged? Since so, we're talking about version numbers, and then you just remind me of a joke because you know our, whatever our, our friends uh, gave us a joke that he's been asking like, "Hey, are you going to say this joke?" So I might as well say it. You know, like why did they? Uh, why did Microsoft name it Windows Ten? Oh, anyone. 789. 
because Windows 7, 8, 9. Yes. There you go. That's oh, awesome. Said. Very nice. Oh, hey, one more, one more thing on this that I think is key and cannot be, it, it, it cannot be overvalued. Like it needs to happen. This basically, this whole flow that they're talking about here basically requires that you have a build server in place so that when you are committing code, releases happen. I beg to differ. Uh, builds are initiated by the app's developers whenever new code is deployed. Runtime execution, by contrast, can happen automatically in such cases as a server reboot, blah, blah, blah. So it implies it. It doesn't say it has to be there. But if you want to ease your life and not have to be doing manual builds all the time. Okay, definitely, you know, if you can automate your builds, that is definitely going to make life easier on you. Definitely. Yes. No arguments there. But what I'm saying, though, is that this this isn't really necessarily saying that that's part of it or a requirement not of required. it. This yeah. is saying that the stage itself is taking the binary produced from the build and combining it with with that deploys current config, which could just be as simple. The release stage could be just as simple as like, you know, copying over a binary onto a particular Linux instance under its particular uh, user directory that it's going to run as. And then boom, that's your release stage. Right. Right. Because that, you know, that, that user that it's going to run as might already have the environment variable set up for that configuration. Right. And and there you go. That that's that's the release stage. Yeah, it's not a requirement, but it if if you ever have worked in an environment where you have a lot of moving pieces and and you're constantly having to produce builds, like it can become almost a, a second full time job to be constantly updating these things all over the place. So if you can and you have the time, setting up a build server to help automate some of this stuff can be like just a huge boon to productivity right i mean i could like even put these these three stages into different words so like the build stage is simply the compilation yep the release stage is simply the transferring the files Mm -hmm. right and the run stage is the actual execution of it yep right like that that's in as simple as what this is and that's why i'm trying to say that like you know make the point that as much as you know uh continuous deployment is an amazing thing. It's, it's not required. It's not, you know, but they also talk about a rollback. So you do have to have a rollback in place, which, which can simply mean backing up the folder that was there and then being able to, you know, quickly, you know, switch back over to it. If something goes wrong. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, this being Heroku and, you know, definitely uh, uh Ruby ish, you know, they're talking about environments where you could just, uh, you know, have, have, um, one of the examples they give is, is, you know, each release is a different version numbered subdirectory, right? Not a timestamp to subdirectory, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, and, and you just have a release, uh, subdirectory that is a sim link to whatever version you want to be the current running, uh, version. Right. But rollbacks are scary. Like sometimes there, you know, there are side effects if you change data or you add columns to the database or you know some other service. Then uh, there can be real implications to rolling back. Oh yeah, <laughs> especially in a production system, yep. in a staging or a development environment, maybe not so big, but not in a twelve-factor app. Oh, sorry. <laughs> right. You start making data changes in the real world, and there there are some implications to to what you got to do. 
Yep. So. Yeah, I got a buddy who says if you're talking about rolling back, then your uh, continuous delivery is broken. And uh, you need to speed up your pipeline so you can roll forward and fix stuff quickly. And, and I would honestly, agree with that. I actually do agree with that. Um, I've worked with people that like their knee jerk reaction is to roll back. And I mean, just fix uh, the problem. Yeah, fix the problem. I, I mean, unless this is something that's going to lose your company, you know, millions of dollars in, in time to try and get it done. But for the most part, if you've been on top of the situation and some anomaly comes up, you should have a pretty good idea of what it is and what it's going to take to get that thing resolved. And a lot of times, rolling back will take just as much time as fixing the problem in the first sometimes, place. Sometimes more. Sometimes more. Like what Joe said a second ago, you know, if there were major underlying architectural changes, it may not even be feasible to do. I mean, I don't mean to, you know, make Joe relive uh, bad memories, but I, I definitely recall one weekend that he spent uh, several hours after a rollback uh, manually having to fix some data if he recalls that yes one january oh yes <laughs> so many times so many dirty dirty things i've done so so you know just simply the point being is that like you know it's often it, it, it is often far more uh time consuming to roll back yeah so i mean you know any managers that might be listening to this or whatever you know definitely Take listen to the developer and find out. You know, get try and get a real judge of what what the situation may be, and then move forward with it. Now, yeah. now, in fairness, though, the times where those rollbacks were so nightmarish were they twelve factor apps? Oh man, no. nothing we've worked on has ever been a twelve factor <laughs> app. Come on. <laughs> well, but my point being though is like, if it truly was a twelve factor app, right? If it truly was a twelve factor app, would rolling back be such a bad thing? Uh, no, but still, there's still going to be changes that will be complicated, right? Like if it's a database, if you're upgrading a schema on a database, are you going to really want to roll that schema back to a point before it? So, I mean, even in a 12 factor app, these, these kind of things can come up. I mean, there, there's, there's definitely situations where it's not going to be so easy. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't mean to insult, but it definitely feels like they were living in a bubble for some of these. Yeah. There's no doubt. I mean, or that, or I've just like really not had the pleasure. Yeah. I mean, in all, in all honesty, right? Like most apps aren't all that clean. They, they just aren't because they grow organically over time. We've, we've talked about this before and you know, in, in all fairness, if you could write everything perfectly from the beginning, nothing would probably ever get done. Right? Well, I mean, I, I you know, not to harp on the data issue, but I, I keep thinking about like scenarios where, you know, especially in like live environments where, you know, you, where you get a lot of traffic, right? Once you make that schema change, you're done. I mean, you can't, what are you doing to do? Like, so, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Roll, highly transactional back. systems is not – and half the time, a rollback takes twice as long Like in data. If you try and update something and it starts going sideways and you try and roll back, that rollback may take twice as long as the initial update you tried to do. So, well, as we were talking about this, I was trying to think of scenarios like, well, what, if it, what about you know if you took a snapshot of the database – so that you could like have that as a backup, but then you might have like for example, you mentioned transactional makes me think of like orders. Mm-hmm. You know, if you had a live e-commerce site and you have orders coming in, well, you don't want to lose those orders, so you can't just roll back to the other version of the database. And right. you know, if this is all live, yeah. You know, so yeah, I don't, I don't, 
I, I like what Joe said best. Roll you forward. Know? Yeah, just keep rolling forward. Like if, if you have to roll back, then that should be a code smell that something is wrong with your deployment process. Yeah. So, all right. Well, so uh, the importance that they assigned to this one um, was the word conceptual. Uh, so I, um, that's a little bit hard to interpret, but uh, I've got the, the page up here. And, and basically they say from a practical p- practical perspective, the tools and framework that you use will uh, define best practices for building, deploying, and running your apps. So just kind of follow it, and it's going to take care of it, you know, for better or for worse. And I, I agree with that. And for the most part, like, I don't know how you would do it another way, you know? No, this, this seems pretty status quo. Like, I, I, yeah. I mean, this is almost just a part of anything that you do anyway, so. Yep. Uh, I just thought it was interesting to have these three well-defined steps. Um, and there are definitely things, you know, you could do in, say, like a .NET world. You know, you could kind of build debug for one thing and then build release for another. You could use web transforms and things that kind of blur the lines between these three steps. Um, so it's just kind of interesting and a nice guideline to try and keep those separate. Cool. Well, I think if you're doing the web transforms, though, that would break this. You'd be breaking this part of the twelve factor app, but yeah, the, if you're the web, using... um, web config is already kind of breaking it, right? Because you've got a bunch of config type stuff that's now no longer associated with the environment; it's associated with the code. Well, um, no, the transform no. only happens when you deploy. It doesn't happen on a build. No, it happens on a build. The web transform happens on a build because it puts a copy of the web config in each of the um, folders. Um. Hmm. Yeah, it's built. It's built time. Yeah, it actually modifies the XML of the the web config of the web config. But as far as your point, Joe, about like the things that are in the web config, you don't. You could still adhere to the config chapter of the twelve factor app with a .NET app. I mean, it's you know that that is more dependent upon like what do you put in that web config right so they don't want you to put things that are going to change environment to environment like you know database credentials that's right. where they want things in some other configuration and you know we, i think we talked about the machine config or the user configs uh for something like that but um they they want the things that are code specific that need to be in there in order for the application to run that uh you know can go in that web config right and, th- and that, that that would adhere to the 12 factor app just fine I concede that point. <laughs> I don't know about the conceptual stuff there for the importance. That seems like kind of odd. It seems like a necessary thing. Like you have to build, you have to release, you have to run. How can you call it conceptual? Well, conceptually you have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, cause if in reality you don't, <laughs> right, well, you know, it then just you won't work. A, you got a zero factor app. Right. right? That's right. All right. Well, let's uh, let's move along here. I think we beat that that one uh, a little much. So, you know, we've said this before, and I don't mind asking again. But uh, if you haven't already, uh, we greatly appreciate it. Every time we read a new review, it it makes each of us uh, a little giddy inside. We really do appreciate it, and it really does uh, mean a lot to us. And it helps us a lot with uh, you know other people when they run ac- across the uh, the podcast and whatever you know, source they're looking at and they're like, Hey, I wonder if this won't be any good. And they, and they read your review. It really does help. So we really do appreciate that. So if you haven't already left us a review, please do. You can go to iTunes or Stitcher 
Uh, you can quickly go to uh, codingblocks.net slash review, and uh, there's quick links there to help you uh, you know, get to your source. And, and if those aren't one of the places that you want to leave a review, you know, w- pick your podcast aggregator of choice and let us know. We'd be interested to know, uh, you know some of the sources that people are using to find us out there. This episode is sponsored by Infragistics. Design before you build with Indigo Studio. Share and collaborate on designs with indigodesign.com and build high-performance, enterprise-ready desktop and web line-of-business apps and mobile apps in your platform of choice. Be that WPF, Windows Forms, ASP.NET, HTML5, and JavaScript, iOS, Android, or Xamarin. Head over to infragistics.com to view sample apps and see those tools in action and get started with your free trial today. All right, this brings us to uh, part six, um, processes. So um, this has to do not so much with your application, but with the various kind of executables that run around it. Um, Things like scheduled tasks, cron jobs, stuff like that. Um, And the goal here, uh, or at least the guideline, is to execute that app as one or more stateless processes. And I actually apologize. Uh, this does refer to the application as well. It just to kind of encompasses uh, encompasses those other things as well. And uh, the goal here is to stay stateless and share nothing, including not sharing memory or disk storage. Yeah. So this this is kind of like you know when I was hinting at before when I was talking about uh, Session. you know, sessions. You know, because this specifically does get into thing. It, it specifically calls out. You know, if you're using sticky sessions, for example, which if you're not familiar with sticky sessions, let's say that you have uh, multiple uh, app servers that are serving up your website and randomly as new users come in, uh, you know, some load balancer decides which one of those servers should uh, take that request, right? And there's different uh, algorithms that are used to decide how that gets balanced. But, you know, what you want is... And then in the second request that that user makes, you might have a need for them to come back to the same server. And that's where, that's what's called a sticky session. And so in that case, what happens is the load balancer says, oh, well, this guy has already visited once before. I'm going to send him back to the same one that he went to the first time. And I'm going to keep routing his traffic to that same box until he's done, right? Until, until his sticky session expires. And you know, in the 12 factor app here in the, in chapter six of processes, they specifically call out sticky sessions as a bad thing, right? Like if you're, if your box needs uh, sticky sessions, then, you know, you're doing it wrong. And they specifically call out, you know, you should use, uh, you know, something like a, a memcached or Redis in order to um, save that data. Yeah, absolutely. And um, there's a lot of really good reasons for for doing this. Um, And one is scalability. You know, if you've got sticky sessions turned on and you add a new box, then uh, only new people are going to ever get to it. And it's going to take a long time to actually balance that load. And uh, same thing with killing boxes. You're introducing points of failure. You know, if you're in a checkout process or something and, you know, you're storing that in session, then if that box dies, you might get kicked out to the beginning of checkout again. Or, you know, even worse, you might lose your card or, or whatever. And that's all really bad. You're actually, you know, you're introducing points of failure. Yeah. And I mean, when it comes down to it, there, there's a lot of options for not having to do that, which is, you know, in ASP.net, you have your session state service. And they mention a lot of times you back it with a database or something like that. 
But I mean, just about everything has something available to do this. And when you do something like sticky sessions, never mind the fact that you can't even, it, it, it takes new people to start balancing out these new servers. The other thing that stinks about it is nothing takes into um, consideration the load on those servers at that point in time. So if you actually had a real load balancing type solution in place, it's not going to be leveraged, right? You could have one server that's at 90% CPU utilization, another one that's at zero, but because, you know, those people are stuck on that other box, there's nowhere to go. So there's a lot of reasons not to do this, and there's a lot of options for not having to do it. So, I mean, this one's actually fairly easy to do. You just you just have to architect your architect your application in a way that takes advantage of it. Yeah, well, okay, so you, you mentioned architecture, right? So there's one of the one statement in here in chapter six where they say that the twelve factor processes are stateless and share nothing, right? And that sounds kind of crazy at first because we're talking about like, well, you don't want um, any saved session data on a particular app server. Instead, you want that to be done by some other backing server service like a memcache, right? That all of these uh, processes would then, you know, these app server processes could then share, right? Which seems like, well, wait a minute, it's supposed to be stateless and share nothing, right? So I almost want to rephrase that statement to say the 12 factor processes are stateless and know nothing, right? Yeah, I like that. But, but the reason why they call it shared nothing is based off of, or at least I'm assuming based off of, uh, the architecture, the shared nothing architecture yeah which is old by the way i i had just um this is the first time uh tonight that i had heard this term before and uh, i looked it up and it was actually a, uh developed by this guy uh, michael stonebreaker awesome name in 1986 when i was wow. six yeah so it's kind of funny it, it only uh, you know at least as far as i know uh became really popular with the kind of rise of google and facebook and that sort of like commodity hardware type of hosting and so it was just kind of uh, funny to see it you know, coming back from so long ago. So it's using a share a shared nothing architecture, but really you need to think about this as stateless and know nothing. Because I I really interpret that as like that's the way they want. If we go back to the shared, if we go back to the session data as an, as the example, right? So in the in the scenario that you each described, you know, if you were to pop in a new app server into your load balancer. You want it to be able to pick up right along with wherever they are in the shopping experience. You know, customers could randomly go, each request that they make, each click that they make to the next page could take them to any one server. They're not going to keep going to the same app server over and over and over, right? So in that, and, and that's because each one is stateless and knows nothing about the session. All of that is coming from some other shared backing service. It's kind of funny, though, because it says it has to be stateless. And it's weird because it is in the term that there is not a session, but you're still relying on a database or you're relying on a memcache. It's not that you're not going to have that, that shared data. It's just that it's not relying on one piece of hardware to do it because then it kills your scalability. Right. Well, I think in stateless as in like, you don't have to initiate, you know, one of those run apps. You don't have to use like a memento pattern. <laughs> you, you're not you're not like bringing in some kind of state in order for the app to even start up, right? Right. right. It can start up and and it and you know exist like you know making a database connection. I don't really consider 
that's not that's not part of it. No, but I mean, I guess one of the things here is like the whole thing with session. Like, if it goes away, it shouldn't kill you. You should be able to bounce to another server and do it right. Right. But the whole idea is though, there's still something backing that. Now, if it's a if it's a database, there's a single point of failure there. So it's it's just kind of curious that they're saying they move it so that you can basically scale out horizontally, right? Well, okay, but that doesn't have to be that database doesn't have to be a single point of failure. That's all in how you date how you architect the database good, layer. Yeah, good point. And, and and specifically, not you know, we keep beating up on session as the example here, but you know, they actually specifically call out other uh, caching you know session based services to to uh, cache that that. Uh, session data okay yeah oh i got a good one um one example of that uh, of kind of a a bad thing to do in this situation is uh file uploads if you've ever uploaded a file stashed it somewhere on disk temporarily and then dealt with it again in like uh you know later requests like say you cropped the photo or whatever um that's the kind of thing that you need to put that in some sort of shared location because you never know who's going to get that next request yeah that's a really good example yep and the uh, same goes for um, for processes. Uh, kind of mentioned that earlier, but uh, sometimes I've seen processes that will like phase one will kind of create a file, and then phase two will go read that file and do something else, and you know put it somewhere else, and and um, it just uh, makes for a flow that's very heavily dependent on um, knowing what the last state was of you know some other process, which is just not a great practice. Yeah, it makes scaling pretty much impossible. Yep. Yeah, so that that's actually a, that that example hits on two of those uh, scenarios, Joe. One one is being the state of it, knowing like where you are in the processing of that file. But then the other one is, um, you know, if a second request were to come in, it might not have access to that file. Right. So. Yep. Yeah. So yep. that that pretty much wrapped that one up. That one was pretty short and sweet. Yeah, I mean, there was like. Specifically, you know, I do want to like make one little caveat though to the file because, you know, if if that if if operating on that file is in one, you know, transaction, right? Then that's okay, right? Yeah, they even say that because using disk space or memory space, you know, locally at the time of processing some request. That can be considered just you know a, a local cache, and that can be okay in that scenario. It's it's the subsequent use of it. So in Joe's example that he gave, where you know some other step or process needed to be able to know what you what step you were at in processing the file, right? That's where it becomes a problem. Well, yeah, I mean a file uploads a perfect example of that because when it first uploads, if it's a web page, right, it goes to a temporary spot on the server. And then if you're going to move that into a more accessible location, there is another step there that has to happen. So that's a perfect example of, yeah, temporarily, just until you get it into a better place that can be used by other pieces, you know, that's fine. That's really unavoidable in most cases. So, you know, and then, yeah, what's the, uh, what'd you find on the importance on that one, Joe? They said high and I wish there was something higher than high because I really like this one. Higher than high. Yep. You can make it critical. Right? Like, I can't feel my face when I'm, you know. God, that song, by the way. And like, I love it. Come on, man. Like, okay. It's the weekend. Let's get into pop culture for oh, just a my moment. God. Wait, You're I can't feel my face when I'm with you. What, what does that even mean? I guess you'll know it when you know it. Man. Have you but, never had tequila? 
<laughs> Wait, that stuff that you could smell on yourself like three days later? Yeah, you eat the worm, man, and uh, you'll know what the song's about. <laughs> uh, so the next time you're with with your significant other, and you'd be like, "I can't feel my face when I'm with you." Like they're supposed to really think that's something special, right? You say, "Oh, you're so sweet." Yeah, and um, there's coding blocks on pop culture. <laughs> sorry about that, <laughs> man. They're just so like this song is so catchy, but it is seriously some of the worst lyrics I think I've ever heard. And I love it. (laughs) Say what? (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, we came off the rails. That's awesome. Nice. All right, so yeah, they they say it's high, and and Joe says it's higher than high. Yeah, I I, I think that one's pretty important. Yeah, they they they. They specifically have a blurb here that says that not only is a stateless app more robust, but it's easier to manage generally incur, incur, bleh, easy for me to say, incurs fewer bugs and scales better. So, so higher than high, according to Joe, like Willie Nelson high. How's that? <laughs> like your whole lifetime of high. More pop culture. <laughs> Uh, All right, so uh, there's some resources that we like that we will include in the show notes. Clearly, tech is obviously going to be one, again, and obviously the 12-factor app. And again, if you didn't listen to the first one, uh, you know, yeah, certainly go back and listen to episode 32 for uh, the first three chapters. But know that uh, if you were to try to go find the 12-factor uh, site on your own, it's 12 as in the number, factor.net. All right, so let's get into Alan's favorite portion of the show. Or tip of the year. The tip of the (laughs) week. What you got, Alan? So my tip of the quarter is... (laughs) The quarter. (laughs) (laughs) It feels like it anyways. You know, it is a weekday that we are recording this. I feel like tip of the week is an appropriate name for this, this segment. If we ever do the tip of the weekend. One of these days we're actually going to send out a newsletter too. (laughs) <laughs> it's going to be interesting when it happens. We still have oh. a couple written. <laughs> People are going to be like, what's this coding blocks thing that came to me? Um, anyways, all right, so my tip is I was just helping somebody recently. I was watching them do some things, and they had a problem where their application was locking up. And it was clearly something to do with the database, which was backed by SQL Server. And... Uh, if you if you've done this much, you know a lot of people go into Query Profiler and they start searching for things. They look for long running execution times. Profiler can be a little bit um, daunting for people who don't ha- haven't used it initially. Um, and there's a lot of settings you can set. So, oh, that's a lot is an understatement. It's like <laughs> in the New York City of, st- of settings. It's crazy. Yeah, there's there's a lot that you can do in there. And if you don't check the right things, then you actually won't get back data that will help you. So you also must, I mean, must create your own templates that you just reuse. In yeah, order you to, should in order to make Query Profiler work for you. Yeah, I would agree. And it's funny because the ones that come out of the box are really Crap. just not very yeah, good. I yeah, I mean. Th- so, anyways, um, long story, still long, but I will try <laughs> get to the point here. Um, one thing you can do if it's SQL Server, and and I've taught several people this trick. You can do an SP underscore who to. And it's the number two. Yeah, number two. And this is basically a, a store proc that comes bundled with SQL Server. It's kind of a hidden proc. 
And if you do SP Hutu and then in single quotes do active, it will show you all the active running processes. And if you leave off active, it'll actually show you all the processes that have been running at some point in time. But here's the cool part. So you do SP Hutu active, you can see a list of everything that's running. Then you can look for things that have a high CPU utilization, maybe a high disk IO and haven't finished. And maybe they're even blocking. Now, in one of those columns, there's going to be an SPID. That's your SPID, as they call it. It's basically your process ID. If you take that thing, this doesn't help you. You'll see that it'll say maybe there's a select running or an update running or a delete running. And that doesn't help you because you really don't know what the statement is that's bombing at that point in time. You just know that it's hanging up the machine. If you take that SPID that's associated with that row... And then, now you have to have rights to do this. A lot of times you might have to have sysadmin rights or at least elevated rights on the server to do this. You can run a dbcc space input buffer and then in parens put that SPID. It will actually give you the query statement that is running that is causing all that CPU locking or the uh, disk I.O. So instead of just seeing select, you'll actually see your crazy query statement that might be breaking things. And it might not even be a nasty statement. It's just that maybe an index was bad or fragmented or, or you know, statistics are out of date. Whatever the case may be, this will actually get you to the answer quicker than going into Profiler. Now, the only caveat here is if the process finished, you're not going to see it in your SP Who 2. Um, so it's got to be something that is running and is blocking things for you to actually see it. But it is a nice, quick way to be able to troubleshoot things on SQL Server if you're having some performance issues. Now, here's a bonus to that. Let's say you, you do your SP Hutu, you do your DBCC input buffer, right? You see what your friends are doing out there. And let's assume that you have privilege, Kill spin. Now do kill <laughs> space and put that spin in there just to like randomly mess with him. That's where you're their going. Their query stops and they have no idea what just happened. This is only if you don't like the people you work with <laughs> because, you know, they've been working on this query all day. There they are debugging their app. Stepping through it, they're like, wait, what just happened? Now, I will say, though, there have been more than a time or two where somebody will have opened a transaction and forgot to commit it or roll it back, and it will hang everybody attached to that server. Like, you can't do anything. Right. And then they went to lunch because they had plans, right? And so then you can freely kill whatever they did, right? That's awesome. Oh, but... Yeah, this this is actually a very nice troubleshooting tool. A lot of people don't even know about it, and it is super helpful. And you'd be surprised. You start killing processes, and things run fast. They do. <laughs> that database backup that was running, who needed that? Yeah, that's just... <laughs> uh, I hate we're a 12-factor app. We don't need backups. You, you should have stopped listening to our advice about a minute ago. <laughs> I hate seeing that, that word. derailment. Uh, when you what see select that? in that um, that the SP who two, every time I see the word select, I'm like, come on, you, that means you know what it is. You're just not telling me because <laughs> it won't give you the whole statement. Yeah, it obviously knows. Uh, that's awesome. Ugh. Oh, by the way, here's another quick little tip for you. If it is a select and there's a ton of CPU and really the disk I/O is really low, typically that's a bad index. 
almost always, or missing index. Say say that again. So if you see really high CPU utilization and very low disk I/O, oh right, and it's okay. a select, that's almost always guaranteed to be either a fragmented or a missing index because basically SQL is having to join everything in its in its memory to get things done. So yeah, if you also find those bits that they're waiting, yep, that are or runnable. Uh, I'm sorry, they'll be runnable. Yep. Those can often be your friend's uh, SQL Server uh, management studio sessions because <laughs> every window, if you notice, There's every window you open up, it'll have in parentheses what the SPID is of that window. Yep. Right? So if you wanted to like disconnect your friends. Yeah, you can kill all their open connections. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sorry. Evil. You know, I had a connection killed on me the other day. Oh, it man. wasn't me. I've no, never actually done this. I've I, only like recommended this to other people. <laughs> yeah, oh, I read oh. about it somewhere. I've, I've never ne- heard done this. <laughs> oh, that's convenient. Yeah. <laughs> I totally believe you guys. Yep, you should. <laughs> Would I lie? Is it, I found some great oceanfront property in Arizona. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Joe, what you got for the, the tip of the week? Quarter. All right. So uh, this tip is uh, from Andy Joyner, uh, our buddy at uh, Techies UK, and uh, he tipped me off to Tortoise Git, which I know Outlaw is already gritting his teeth uh, because it's not, uh, you know, I'll reserve Bash my Git. But what it's really nice for, and Alan kind of sold me on this uh, inadvertently, but um, it's nice for partial commits uh, when you're doing something like a rebase and you want to, you know, kind of clean up your commits and get things in there uh, in, a, in a nicer, cleaner way, then uh, this is really nice. And it's also nice, like, sometimes I just don't want to type anymore. I get tired. <laughs> okay. So laziness is the key here. All so the best programmers know, are lazy. Just know that... That's a good point. I hate you a little bit inside for mentioning a Git GUI tool <laughs> as a tip of the week. Take it. As long as the Git GUI tool is not Visual Studio, I'm <laughs> I'm somewhat okay with it. Visual Studio is probably the most hamstrung Git interface I've ever seen. It's it's horrible. It's beyond terrible. Like it, it, I've had to help so many people that have decided they were going to use that to where it's like, come on, dude. It's purposely. It, it's I don't know how else to put this. So I hope this is a, like you know a good PC way to put it. But it's like purposely crippled like they don't have all the functionality there they don't even have a handful of functionality like like there's so many features you can't you won't hear me typically bash on visual studio but in this case like dude just leave it out of there let somebody build a plugin that works because man no no the plugins are just as bad oh really I, there's no. I haven't found. A, I've never seen a good plugin for it. Man, Forget it. It's I, over. Just uh, do command line. That's because yeah. Git's crazy. Git is schizophrenic. What? Dude, it really it, is. It, I I agree. I agree. Like if you go through the RTFM, which if anybody ever sends that to me, I I may actually just sign off of social media forever. <laughs> but if you go through it, it's it's incredibly complicated. But if you learn the basics and you learn them very well. By command line is actually fairly elegant and easy to follow. Like there are the edge cases where you have to do something crazy. For the most part, that's never the case. Yeah, sometimes it's like, how do I revert a commit? And it's like, well, pull up a chair. <laughs> no, dude, I did it the other day. Get revert, and then you just put in the hash. Right? Like it's so easy. Ah, uh, anyways, um, all right, done rant. Yeah, 
I I can't I can't support this tip of the week. I did Jay. not mean to I did not mean to hijack your tip. I think it's fantastic. I guess. I, I mean, <laughs> I, you know, and I guess Andy helped you with this one, come up with that one. But I still and we like just, Andy. Just no, I can't I can't support that. Yeah, we like Andy, so we're gonna let this one fly for right now. <clears throat> All right, so here's my tip of the week, and I need to like backtrack a little bit for a moment here. So. By the way, his tip says we're lazy. That's that's. I have no idea where this is going. <laughs> Pull up a chair. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's self-explanatory way to give it away. So so, okay. Uh, went to a new meetup. It was really good. Right there's a, a Node JS meetup here in the Atlanta area, and you know while the meetup itself was was very good and entertaining. I, I'm not trying to take anything at all away from that experience. Um, you know, one of the interesting things that happened though, like afterwards, you know, everybody was kind of like getting to know each other, talk, you know, and, 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 you know, share experiences and whatnot. And so, uh, you know, I, I met the, I was talking with the guy who runs the meetup, that particular Node.js meetup. And, uh, you know, during our conversation, you know, he happens to mention that he has his own podcast. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of neat. Now, as soon as he told me the name of the podcast, I was immediately jealous. This is the most awesome name. The, for for a coding-related podcast, this is the most awesome name. Like, I, I was... I was disappointed in myself that I didn't think of it. You ever have those situations where like somebody thinks of something so, so simple, but yet it's simplicity is exactly it's, it's elegance for that particular thing. Right. And, and this was one of those examples. I was like, Oh man, that's an incredible name for it. Like that's awesome. Give it up. <laughs> so <laughs> quit teasing. So on top of that, but on top of that, and here's where our laziness kicks You're in. You're still doing it. Right. <laughs> I'm getting there. Hang with me. So, so on top of that, this is this is where our la- our laziness kicks in, right? Because he and his co-host, they have or at the time had seven episodes recorded. And the way that he introduces this to me is he goes, "Hey, I don't know if you listen to podcasts, but here's my card." It hands me this business card, and I'm like, after all the flipping time we spent trying to come up with a new logo, and we still don't have any business cards. Oh man! And there's seven. There's seven in. <laughs> Not only do they have this great name, but these business cards are beautiful. Give it to me. Come on. So, check that out. The show title is Pseudo Code. And I thought that's an amazing name, like S U D O. Yeah, U. How else would you spell pseudocode? Yeah, pseudo. S U D O. Pseudo. Not that kind of. Okay, fine. That would be pretty good too. Pseudo code. That it. I'm thinking spinoff podcast. Check out that that business card is like serious quality, right? And and I I gave him a listen, and you know, it's a you can go to pseudo code.fm or you can find them in iTunes. I don't know if they're on other platforms, but um they're definitely available in in iTunes. And they are like 
like some of their content, like as, so I, I met Joe that, um, and I'm, I don't know how to pronounce his last name exactly. So <laughs> I'm probably going to butcher this, but DiCarlo, uh, that Joseph right. DiCarlo. Yeah, that looked right. Um, so, uh, him and his co-host, uh, Emlyn Murphy and I, and both of these guys, I mean, I, I have been at, um, various meetups around the Atlanta area over the years and have, have heard both of them present topics. Um, both, you know, guys that really know what they're, uh, what they're talking about. And this was a, um, you know, a lot of the topics that they talked about, I was like, wow, that's kind of like in the same, uh, vein of what we do, except where a lot of times we give .NET examples, they do objective C. Okay. So, you know, I, I thought that that was, that was kind of like, uh, you know, here, here's our, here's our, uh, bizarro world opposite. Right. Um, I, I thought that was interesting. When did you so, go to this meetup? Um, it was, uh, last week, last Thursday. Cause it was the node JS meetup here in the Atlanta area. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was really good. So, so my tip of the week, so definitely go listen to go, go give them a listen at pseudocode.fm. And, uh, yeah, but the tip of the week, really, though, is don't be lazy like us, because <laughs> we're th- 33 episodes in now, and we still, like, anytime I meet somebody at a meetup, I have nothing to give them to say, like, oh, you go listen to my show. I, I will say, I've been trying to get us business cards for a while, but, but, here's one thing. I'm not thing. blaming. Here, here's one thing I will say, though, like, and we hadn't actually said anything to anybody Man, we had a whole slew of problems. <laughs> like what? A few weeks back. <laughs> like, oh God! You're talking about when, like when we dropped out of the store. Back dropped like out. That? Like the first thing that we noticed was I think Jay Z noticed was that our latest episode wasn't showing in iTunes, and we're like, "What's going on?" And then like three days later, we disappear. And so like all this stuff, all our excitement about it was getting actually a little more than three. Yeah, I mean it, it wasn't like six. Okay, yeah. But it, it was not very fun because here we are. We were all stoked about getting our, our logo done and everything. And we had some momentum. We were, we were, we were pushing forward. And then, like, we just got, we got slapped. Like, we spent days trying to figure out what was going on. And it was not fun. And you know what it so, was? It was a rest verb. If only <laughs> right. they um, were using gets and posts like you should. And oh none of that, those Don't other six weirdo on ones. No, yeah, options, right? No, they were doing head. So first you're stepping out with other Joes. And now yeah, you're man. promoting these weirdo uh these weirdo rest methods. Yeah, because they're good. They're necessary. Alright, well I'm gonna find another git tip for uh next week. You know, in in like <laughs> non console. A git gooey tip. <laughs> yeah. You know, and here's the thing. Like, you know, I, I'm I'm not blaming any one of us. We're, we're we're all at fault. My point though is that like you know I'm willing to give us the last month because you know we did run into some complications there. But Man. you know we're we're 33 episodes in now. We've been doing this since 2012. Uh, 2012 now because we did our first recording in late 2012. Very and late. We still. Very late. <laughs> We still, when this man came up to me and handed me this business card, and and for those of you listening that can't okay. see this business card, this thing, this thing's got some girth to it, man. Yeah, this it's is better like, than my wallet. This is like <laughs> this this business card is like what 
you would be handed at a bar to put your drink on. It's that <laughs> it really kind of thick. Like, it, you know, this this is like this is like a burger with strength. You know. Yep. Yep. No, but now, in all fairness, oh. this this does make me feel a little bit better at this point in time. Is they still only have seven episodes. And while we may be late to the game with coming with new episodes, they definitely have some time in between theirs too. So they literally are the parallel universe to us with Objective C. <laughs> so yeah, they- <laughs> yeah, I talked with him about that too. They 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 do strive to be a weekly, but yeah, you know, definitely have had real world kind of uh, you know like us have had real world situations get into the way of you know being able to accomplish that goal. Yeah, but uh, you know, give it a listen. There was some good stuff in there. Cool. Yeah, I, I'll check it out. And and, and don't be will, lazy. We will have some business cards, and we will have some stickers and whatnot because we See, need it's to, the stickers that I want. Yes, we need to adorn Outlaw's MacBook if he's got any room left on it. Yeah, um, man. With a with a new sticker, and I'm sure Joe's going to put one on there too. Yep. I, th- I he, think Joe's going to put a sticker on my laptop. <laughs> I might. Yeah. That's going to be awkward. Yeah, I'm going to do it too. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to get one for my car. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll do that too. Yeah. So anyways, it, we, we are going to get some things, uh, but yeah, it, it's, it, it literally was a rough month with, uh, having to troubleshoot problems. Uh, I mean, yeah. you learn a lot doing this kind of stuff. So I think life just beat all of us up individually too. Oh, <laughs> like man. we got, we all individually got put through the dryer. Oh, uh, it, it really has been a rough several weeks. So yeah. Um, but, all right. but we do love doing this. Like we were all stoked. I mean, even tonight was a challenge, right? We're all like, man, maybe we can make tonight. I'm surprised Joe's still awake. Yeah. Joe's not actually still awake. We no, don't know. I've been asleep. I've been asleep oh. for 30 minutes. You know, now that I look at the video, that doesn't look like Joe at all. Yeah. He, he's now called left eye because <laughs> one of them's open. One of them's not. Yep. So squinty. All right. Well, uh, we hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of Coding Blocks and uh, catching up on chapters four, five, and six of the Twelve Factor app, which were the backing services, the build, release, run, and processes. So check out episode thirty-two for uh, chapters one, two, and three, and be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. And be sure to give us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever podcast aggregator you prefer to use. Uh, We greatly appreciate it. Yep, and contact us with a question or a topic. Leave your name, preferred method of shout-out, and we'll mention you on the podcast. Also, visit us at www.codingblocks.net, where you can find all our show notes, examples, discussions, and more. And send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net. And uh, follow us on Twitter at codingblocks. And we've actually been keeping up our Facebook page a little bit more here lately, haven't we? Yeah, it's fun. There's this thing called Facebook that we found out about. So. Yeah, I actually post pictures there. I, I don't know why I don't do that on Twitter too, but... Yeah. Not enough characters. It eats up half of them. So. That's true. <laughs> yeah. 